this day that you've made that we can be glad and rejoice in, in spite of uh, whatever circumstances. Uh, Lord, we can be glad and rejoice in this day because you are good, you are loving, you are sovereign, you're working your goodwill and purpose out in every corner of the planet, in every corner of our lives. And guys, we want to continue just making much of you uh, as we continue um, our scattered worship in this uh, worship gathering. And pray, God, that you'd receive all the power, the praise, the glory, and the power today and forevermore. And God's people said, amen. amen. Good morning. So we are finishing up um, this five-week sermon series called Belong Together. If you remember, it's about the, the purpose, the priority, and the power of the local church. And uh, we've talked about the, in the first sermon, we talked about the priority and the purpose of the church. And then we talked about living together in community as a local church. And we, we uh, uh, bounced that. We started from Acts chapter 2, where we learned that the first church was together in proximity with one another, and they were together with one heart, one mind, that they shared uh, humathamadon, that Greek word that means having a common vision, a common uh, mindset. And then we, uh, last week, Pastor Chris talked about serving together and how we've been each been given spiritual gifts, and those gifts are to be used to edify the body of Christ. And uh, today we're going to talk about giving together. And we didn't advertise that ahead of time because we actually wanted you to show up this morning. Um, we, I want you to relax. I want you to release your wallet um, and I want to tell you right up front that, um, and I'll explain as we go along, we don't um, need your money, actually. We don't need it. Um, the church, the local church, does not need your money, doesn't need my money. And, um, and we're going to talk about that as we go, as we go forth. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult, uh, even though we don't need your money, we've got, would you go ahead and put up that giving thermometer up there? No, there's no giving thermometer. We won't be doing that. And there's, there's, a, there's a part of me that in our bulletin, um, if you look on the bottom of the bulletin, it actually shows our annual budget and our monthly budget. And, and I've always thought that was a good idea, and I still think it's a good idea, um, because we want there to be complete transparency. It's not um, my budget or the pastor's budget. It's really this church's budget. Therefore, it's your budget. Um, but really, the fact that we're um, ahead of budget should not encourage you to take your foot off the gas of giving. And when we're behind budget, it shouldn't, um, it shouldn't impact your desire to give more, quite frankly. Um, uh, Jesus um, talks a lot about money, as we're going we're to discover here today, but he really doesn't care about money. He cares about our hearts. And um, we're going to engage in something awkward here in just a minute. And, um, and it's not so much awkward for me, it will be a little bit more awkward for you, and it'll be really awkward for the people that are up here. Um, but I'd ask Brandon McNeil, who is the deacon of our financial advisory team, to um, provide me with a list. <laughs> what? I'm not even going to make a joke here. Let me, let me clarify something. Yeah, uh, uh, from, from biggest givers to smallest givers. No, we didn't do that. <laughs> but I did. So let me just back up. So for those of you that are here and wondering why everybody's laughing, because we've got a, um, a policy here that we operate under. And that is, is that um, we take seriously that, that giving is uh, between you and the Lord. 
that there are giving principles, but it's really what you give is we trust that you're being led by the Spirit and standing on the principles of Scripture that you're giving what you should give. Um, so we don't know as pastors, Pat, Chris, John, and I, we have no idea how much you all give. And it's really freeing, actually. And it's freeing because um, I'm prone to suck up to people. Like if I knew that, that you um, were giving a lot, you know, and my salary depended upon it, I might just like take you out to lunch once a week. And I don't want to do that. Or, or if you gave a lot and maybe you were in sin, I might be prone not to like uh, uh, admonish you. Um, and I want to admonish you. No, I don't. I want to encourage you and admonish you if it's needed. But I asked Brandon for a list of people actually that were faithful and consistent givers. No, uh, I have no idea if they're big givers or small givers because we thought it would be good to have some testimonies this morning. So we've got three families that are going to testify. I asked them to share just their story, why they actually give to the local church. We live in a, um, in a time and a place where there's lots of opportunities for our money, whether it be recreational opportunities or whether that be philanthropic opportunities. There's lots of missions organizations and, and great uh, parachurches. Uh, Christ- Boom. Christian schools. Um, I'm going to be thirsty in a minute. Would you please? Um, You couldn't do that in the temple. (laughs) But since you and I are the temple, and this is just a building, but we do want to steward it, and it's not orange juice, it's just water, so it'll dry. So I want to to invite up the Delventhals, first of all. And um, they're just going to uh, share their story on, uh, on, on giving. Paul. Okay, thank you, Dan. Um, so I'm Dan. This is my wife, Rachel. And, of course, Dan asked us to speak a little bit and give you a testimony of, um, of our giving. Um, this, my, I guess I, I figured out or understood giving before Rachel and I got married. I was living in Denver and uh, had just been laid off from my job. I owned a piece of property in Wyoming that I was paying a mortgage on. I had rent here in Colorado that I was paying, and, um, and it, was, it was an interesting time for sure. Um, I, we, I was going to Riverside Baptist Church, and there was a group about eight of us, guys that we would just, we would keep each other accountable, and there was a gentleman in the group named Chris Martin, and he said, he was telling us a story about he just got off the phone with his father and his father was really frustrated with him because he found out that Chris was not tithing. And his father said, uh, Chris, you cannot afford not to tithe. And to me, that really struck a chord. I didn't quite, I, I grew up in a home that tithing wasn't, um, that wasn't held in high regard. And uh, so that was, that was a new concept to me. Um, at that time, it, it uh, really struck me at the core, and so I started tithing. And uh, through that obedience, it, uh, it, refocused, it refocused my life and refocused me on the, what, where I should be. So that's kind of a... For me, um, I grew up in a um, pastor's home, and we, as you know, they get paid tons of money. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Um, and my, my family or my mom and dad both were very diligent and, um, in giving back to the Lord and, um, it wasn't an arrogant thing or, or anything like that, but it was, um, it was an example to us as children. 
um, that they would give back. And, um, and what I saw through all of that is that God um, took care of everything that we needed, not necessarily giving everything that we wanted. And um, um, I still see that in, um, being done in my family um, today. And, but the more that I've grown up in um, growing in the Lord, and I just realize more and more that everything that we have, our talents, our gifts, um, our possessions, um, the people we have in our lives, they're gifts from God. And why wouldn't we want to give back to him who gives us everything? So... Well, as I said in the first service, this is way out of my comfort zone. But um, I just wanted to share what about giving. And I'm on a fixed income, and I want to do my part in giving. So I figure out my budget for the month, and I round it off and take 10% of that and then divide it in four so I can give it weekly because I feel like it takes less dent out of my, ba- my bank account. And then I also, it, I feel like it's his to begin with anyway, so who am I to say what I give? Uh, tithing is a form of obedience, is a form of righteousness, as Abraham was described by God in the Bible. And I've heard testimonies after testimonies of people that step out in faith even and give when it hurts, and they reap a harvest. And as I said before, that giving is something we should do because it was God's to begin with. Thank you. Morning. I'm Bevan Rigg. Um, Before I was a believer, I came to faith as an adult, Um, but before that, Money was really my God. It's what I desired. It's what I strove after. It's what I really wanted. Um, it's what I saw as the, a fulfilling life would be to be filthy rich. And I went to school for finance and had all these great dreams of uh, becoming very wealthy. That was my singular pursuit. It really was my God. Uh, when God started to draw me to himself, um, I started attending church before I was a believer. And um, I gave a little bit. And it wasn't really giving. It was payment. I kind of figured up in my head what my use of coffee and donuts and air conditioning was. And that's how much I gave. I figured I don't want to receive anything um, from this church that I haven't paid for. That was, that was my attitude. Um, you know, God broke me of my sin. And whenever I came to faith, it was a real heart change where money was no longer my God. Um, I had a, the true God to worship. And part of that was, was with the money, with what he, what he gave me. And uh, so that was a, a big life change um, to where I started to, to give. And as I studied scripture and um, later understood that giving should be cheerful and sacrificial and, and regular, um, that's something that my wife and I have just built into our budget. Uh, the way we see it is it's our number one line item in our budget. It's not the biggest. I, I wish it was, but uh, right now, small children, it's not the biggest. But it is the most important. It's the first thing we consider. Um, and whenever uh, we go overblow on our budget on restaurants or whatnot, we have to sacrifice somewhere else, not in the giving. And that's, um, that's what we've committed to as a, as a couple. And part of how we're blessed through that is um, 
even though God, even though, let me say this carefully, even though money is no longer my God, there's still a temptation for me to make that an idol. And uh, part, our giving helps me to, to battle against that temptation um, to put up an idol before God. And it's how our family has really been blessed through that. Go ahead and give them a golf clap. They, um, I know it was hard for actually each one of them. And uh, the Delventhal's actually asked, hey, can we stand down here? Because we don't want to exalt ourselves above anybody else. So they just really, um, their testimonies are uh, a testimony to God's grace and how they've each received and know the love of Christ. And they're responding to that um, with their giving. So, um, if you're new here today, um, I'm sorry. Um, I'm not really sorry because uh, God has brought you here. Um, we didn't pick this sermon again because uh, we need the money. Um, we're not doing any kind of campaign. We're not wringing our hands, nor is God wringing his hands. Uh, we're simply doing a five-week sermon series on what it means to belong to the local church. And giving together is a big part of that. You know, in America, um, we live in a great country. It's been a great country uh, from its inception. And it's a country that has really been built on uh, philanthropy, on, on thinking of others uh, as more important than ourselves, quite, quite honestly, where we, have, uh, where we have sacrificed a lot for other nations. And uh, my experience with both believers and unbelievers alike is that, um, that there, we, we are bred in America really to help others out. Um, even not even in a Christian way, but to but to help others. Some of the the, the biggest um, um, homeless shelters and um, food banks have all been started by non Christians. Most of the time, though, how uh, Americans, in fact, I, I suppose all humanity, quite frankly, gives towards something that we're passionate about, something that we are connected to, or we get a return from or we have received some benefit from. Most of us are prone to give to that, that we have a, um, that there is a, if we, if we give, we want to receive some benefit. Maybe our alma mater, or um, a kid's school, or a political candidate, or some type of a fundraiser. And for, for me and my wife over the years, we've given to all of these, and these aren't um, bad things at all. Um, I might give some money to the college that I graduated from, the University of No Credit in Greeley. Um, might, might, uh, it's true, pretty much. I graduated from there so I can say that. Um, my wife is from Greeley so I can say bad things about Greeley as well. Um, or I might give some, we might give some money to Heritage Christian School where my kids graduated from. Um, we might give money to um, your kids. We get, oftentimes we get um, like a, a, a Cub Scout or a Boy Scout offer or my kids playing soccer or whatnot. And we, we want to give to that. And that's, uh, that's a really good thing. There were times when I was in business, when I was a stockbroker. I remember one time I had a client, Ray Friedlobe, that was part of the, um, on the board of Opera Colorado. And I could care less about opera, but I bought tickets and I sponsored Opera Colorado because I wanted to please his client and earn more of his business. And I gave money to that because there was some return in it for me. And not all these are bad. In fact, some of them are good reasons to give, but, they, but none of them qualify as a part of the cheerful, sacrificial, first fruit giving that the Bible speaks of. None of it qualifies as that. There's, um, for, I don't know about you, but for Nancy and I, we, we, we want to give to other organizations and to other people other than this local church, actually. We want to do that. 
Um, and so the way that we solve that is that, first of all, we set aside, very similarly, we set aside a certain percentage, and it's more than a tithe, um, right off the top. And that money goes right to this local church. And then we've got another line item on our budget that we call gifts and blessings. And it's several hundred dollars a month. It works in our budget. And it's so that we've, we've got a line item where we can bless other people with it. Whether it be a, a homeless person we meet in uh, downtown Fort Collins. Whether it be um, supporting somebody going on a missions trip. Um, whether it be um, just buying ki- uh, gifts for our kids and grandkids. We call it gifts and blessings. And it's really been helpful to us. You know, as far as our giving to the local church, we, I feel like we've learned and we've tasted and we've experienced the beauty of giving to the local church, but it's been a, it's been a process. It's been a process. I'm kind of a, um, a control person, and it's hard for me to give to an organization, before I was a pastor here, quite frankly, that I had no say in the way the money was managed or spent. Um, so it's been a, a journey just understanding what God's word says about giving. Quite frankly, I've gone from a place of asking, do I have to give, or how much do I have to give, to almost a game, like how much can I give? I would love it if God were to put us in a position, put Nancy in a position where we could give half of what we earn. There would be something just really right about that, not to to earn anything from God, but just to respond to his amazing uh, grace. You know, the average Christian in America gives 3.6% of their earnings. This is wrong. It's absolutely wrong. It's wrong on many levels, but especially for Christians who live in the richest country that the world has ever known. You know which country I'm talking about. The richest country that the world has ever known. And we need to, we need to correct our thinking and our view of money and giving. So I want to ask you, how do you view money and giving? I would submit to you that your spending and your giving habits are a prime indicator of your view of money. And it indicates where your heart actually is. So today we're going to explore the what, the why, and the how of giving. And I pray that, that you see that everything that you have, everything that you have, is a gift from our good and gracious God. And everything he's given you as a gift, he's still on the title. It's joint tenancy with rights of survivorship. He will survive. The Bible devotes over 2,300 verses to money. That's twice as many verses than to faith and prayer combined. Roughly 15% of every word that Jesus said had to do with money or possessions. He said more about money than he said about hell and heaven combined. And even though the Bible talks so much about money and possessions, it's really not about money and possessions. Jesus doesn't care about my money or your money, honestly. He cares about our heart. He didn't care about our money. There are so many sections of Scripture that we could have launched this sermon from this morning. I mean, 2,600 Scriptures, and we chose this one. I chose Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, because what a better place to start than what Jesus thinks about money and what he has to say about money, about our treasure. Let me read today's passage one more time. As much for my heart as anything. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy 
and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Some of you understand the concepts of, of assets and liabilities, appreciation and depreciation. Are there any other like financial geeks in here like me that just love talking and thinking about that stuff? I think it's important at some level for all of us to understand it, even though you don't have to geek out about it as I do. Anything you own is an asset. This shirt is an asset. Some of you might call it a liability, but it's an asset. (laughs) Um, This Bible is an asset. This iPad is an asset. Everything we own, uh, the pen in my coat is an asset. And every asset has a value. Uh, Some have greater values than others. Um, Some of you walked in with an iPhone that has a greater value than an Android. Just saying. (laughs) When we owe money, it's called a what? A liability. It's called a liability. Um, There are, so let me talk about two broad categories of assets. So an asset is anything that we own that has value. And everything has some type of value to somebody. So there's two broad categories of assets. One broad category is assets that have the potential to appreciate. The other is assets that are guaranteed not to appreciate. Which category would a car fall in? But in the last 10 years. It's going to depreciate. A car is going to depreciate for the most part. I guess there's some exceptions to that rule. Jesus has given us an investment lesson of sorts. He's going to tell us where we will get the greatest return for our money. Jesus is saying that the point of your life, the pursuit of your life, the goal of your life should not be to lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, trinkets, toys, and savings accounts. None of those are bad. But if that becomes our treasure, if that becomes what we think about and what we end up loving, and uh, it, it's, it is certainly bad. And his argument is not necessarily a spiritual argument here in verse 19. It's not a spiritual argument at all. It's a common sense argument. His, his argument is common sense. He says everything you own right now is in the process of moving toward offer up or Facebook marketplace on its way to the dump. Everything you own. In fact, your smartphone or your iPad that you brought in here this morning is worth less right this minute than it was 10 minutes when you walked in the door. What about gold? Yep. It's going to be worth nothing when Jesus comes back. Bitcoin? Nothing. Jesus says, this is madness. Stop it. Don't do this. Don't spend your life accumulating for yourselves treasures because not only does the earth itself wage war against you, but people will try to sell the stuff or steal the stuff on the way to the dump. People want your garbage. Um, My wife wants your garbage. I can't tell you how many things that she has drug home. Not from Habitat for Humanity. No, that would be too much, um, that'd be too covert. I mean, she goes right into the neighbor's dumpster in broad daylight. And I just said, can you just do that at night next time? (laughs) I think we have to be really careful here. Because the searching for, the acquiring, the accumulating of stuff is both intoxicating and it's addicting. I think you know what I'm talking about. It's not bad. 
It's not all bad. But it, become, it can be, if left unchecked, it can become intoxicating and addicting. Have you ever slowed down to think about this? Have you ever popped, has this thought ever popped its way into your brain? That new stuff creates an emotive response in us. New stuff, shopping, creates an emotive response. Watch the Super Bowl ads today. Why, why are they spending that money on ads? Because they want to rope us in. They want us to desire things that we already have and we don't need. Think about how crazy this is. We feel better about ourselves when we get new stuff. How can a new car make me feel like a better human being? I know that it does, though. Especially when you drive a car with 260,000 miles that hasn't been vacuumed in two years. And then you go to um, LAX and you rent a car. Rental cars are vacuumed. They're shiny. They smell new. Um, they've, got, um, they, they've been vacuumed um, an hour earlier. And then I get back to DIA and I get in my car and I go, like this, like I hope nobody sees me. I don't feel very good about it. I'm thankful for it, though. Really thankful for it. Except when I get in a rental car and come back to my, like it, it takes me a day or two just to get my bearings about me. How can new clothes make me feel better about myself? New gadgets and toys make me feel more put together. It's absurd. It's, a, it's intoxicating and it's addicting. We don't typically buy new clothes because we need new clothes. Our clothes typically aren't wearing out. It's because they've gone out of style. We feel better in new clothes. I'm not saying we shouldn't. This is a new shirt, by the way. And I like it. It makes me feel good. We spend a lot of money on clothes that look like they're disintegrating. Holes in the jeans. People buy jeans with holes in them. <laughs> Steve McKenzie, your son-in-law, was sitting right back there, and he had holes. I, I could see not only his kneecaps, but his whole knee. I go, did those get handed down from your father's father? He said, no, I just, I just bought them. I was like, what? A discount, I hope. We perpetually are believing the lie that, that what we need to be happy and content is more of what we actually already have. It's the grand lie of our culture. What you need to be content is more of what you actually already possess, and that hasn't worked. It's been said that we work long hours to earn more money, to buy things we don't really need, to impress people that we don't really like. And then Jesus enters the fray in Matthew 6, verse 19. He says, stop this. It's madness. It's lunacy. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where men are prone to break in and steal. Tony Campolo says this. He says, our society is like a shop that has been broken into. But the intruders haven't stolen a thing. They have simply switched all the price tags around. The things that do not really matter have large price tags, while the things of true value are regarded as worthless. Relationships, making disciples, feeding the poor, the sanctity of life. It was said of, of wealth that you can't take it with, us and with you, and when, when somebody asked how much did John Rockefeller, one of the richest men that have ever lived, how much did he take with him? The answer is what? None of it. He took none of it with him. The New Testament teaches that wealth is not a sin. It's not a sin at all. I thank the Lord for rich people, wealthy people in the kingdom. But it's an immense responsibility. Jesus says, stop the madness. The preoccupation with more, with more spoils our enjoyment of what we already have. 
couple of questions. How can you move your heart from earth to heaven and take hold of what is truly life? If your heart follows your treasure, what are you treasuring? Are you more interested in building and protecting your kingdom or building and protecting God's kingdom? Verses 20 and 21. A couple more questions. Do you pray and think more about how to be generous than you pray and think about your own safety, comfort, and pleasure? If you think more about your own safety, comfort, and pleasure than you do about um, giving, you are treasuring the things of this earth. Consumerism says that we can find satisfaction, meaning, and fulfillment by buying consumer goods and services, and that's a lie. And we need to be careful not to put all of our hope and all of our value and our identity in things that we acquire and accumulate here and now. Many of them are good gifts, but it's when we put our identity in there and we, and we try to find ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment in those things, that's when it becomes a lie. We start living a lie. You see, Jesus wants your heart. He doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't need it. The church doesn't need it. He wants you to be free and content, not enslaved and anxious. Earthly treasure will bring temporary fulfillment and satisfaction, but not lasting. It's like crack. The more you have, the more you want. King Solomon, the richest man that has ever lived on the planet, said this in Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves money never has enough. No. He didn't say whoever has money never has enough. It's whoever loves money. The problem isn't having money. The problem isn't, the problem isn't having treasure. It's loving money. It's loving treasure. If your treasure is on, on earth, you'll have to defend that treasure. You'll have to protect that treasure. You'll have to put a lot of energy into that treasure. Your heart will be divided in the vitality and energy that was granted to you for freedom and joy goes into fear and anxiety. And this particular text, when it's all said and done, is an invitation out of anxiety and into a glad resting in God's provision and grace. In the passage in Matthew, Jesus says, to the Jews of yet to come to faith. And he's talking about salvation here. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's talking about rest in Christ. But even when we have find, found ultimate rest in Christ, we are still needing to find rest from our anxiety, from our protecting our own kingdom. And giving and being generous is that liberating activity. It sets us free. It sets us free from worrying about wealth. It sets us free from jealousy about wealth. It sets us free from the busyness of accumulating wealth. It sets us free from the empty way of life. Let me give you a few helpful principles this morning. Number one, God owns it all, and we're his money managers. God owns it all. Not only does he give it all, he still owns it all. That's an important principle. Everything belongs to him. We're just managers of his resources. We need to remember that whether we have little or have much, God owns it all. First Chronicles 29, 14 says everything comes from God and all belongs to him. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Everything is his. 
But you know what? Understanding ownership is only half the battle. If God is the owner, we're the managers. We need to develop a stewardship mentality toward the assets that he's given us or entrusted to us is a better way of saying it. Your name is on God's account. You have unrestricted access to it. You are free to enjoy all of it. But it's a privilege that's subject to abuse, isn't it? As his money managers, God entrusts us to set our own salaries, to set our own budgets, to purchase what we desire and go on vacations that we desire. We're, we're free to do all of that. And none of that's sin inherently. We draw needed funds from his wealth to pay for our living expenses. You go, well, how do I determine if this is, um, if I'm viewing this as my money or his money? How, am I, how, how do I determine if I'm um, living for the earthly treasures rather than heavenly treasures? One way is to look at your calendar, look at your bank account, and think through how you spent money and your time over the last year. When you're doing that, and if it comes up short, remember his only promise is he'll, he'll meet your every need. He won't meet your every greed. He'll meet your every need. So the first principle is that God owns it all and we're his manager. Second is, is that 10% is a good place to start. It's a good place to start. And let me, let me unpack up the, this spiritual principle for you. Before Jesus came on the scene, God's people, the Israelites, gave, they were commanded to give 10%. Or they were, they were commanded to, to tithe, which means a tenth or 10%. And they were commanded to do that right off the top or to give first fruits. This, this command was, was to be a tangible reminder that the Lord owns everything and everything we have is a gift from him. Listen to the Italian prophet Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. From the days of your fathers, speaking to the Israelites, God's chosen people in the Old Testament, From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you shall say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, God says. But you say, how have we robbed you? And he says, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test says the Lord of hosts I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need I gotta tell you I don't understand the whole correlation between uh, blessing and giving I do know this that we see all over God's word that that blessing is described as happiness and that that typically blessing comes from living in obedience So um, giving is obedience. If you want to truly be happy in Christ, understand that it's all his and live a life that gives it back to him. But the the prophet says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. This This is an Old Testament still. And the storehouse was a room in the temple to store the tithes of the crops and animals that were brought by God's people. This was a temple treasury, if you will. The tithes were unpaid. If the tithes were unpaid, the priests had to go to work. They had to work in the farm. And they had to give up their ministry. The nation's religious life was hindered and the poor and strangers suffered when the tithe was not brought into the storehouse. But the real inequity was that such disobedience was robbing God who owned it all. So here's the question. Is the tithe still alive and well? 
I wouldn't take a bullet for it. But I do believe it's a place to start. But let me, let me make a case for the tithe being alive and well. It's from Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24, where Jesus is addressing the scribes and Pharisees. And he says this. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Now, these scribes and Pharisees, they didn't miss a tithe. In fact, um, the, at the heart of this verse is, is that they, they, had a, uh, an herb, they had herb gardens that grew dill and cumin, and they were so legalistic, they were so earning their righteousness that they went into the herb garden and they took 10% of the harvest and brought that into the storehouse. And Jesus is rebuking them for that. Listen to this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. What's the weightier matters of the law? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Without neglecting the others. What's the others? It's tithing. He says, you blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. You see, he condemns the Pharisees for their half-hearted commitment to one part of God's law, the tithe, while neglecting the weightier matters of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now, the New Testament doesn't mention tithing. It doesn't mention, what it does mention is um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, where this really should be our motivation for tithing. It says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus didn't give a tenth of himself. The Father didn't give just a little bit of Jesus. Jesus gave all of himself, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus embraced poverty so that we might become rich. And his radical act of self-giving is the only thing that consistently move us to joyful and sacrificial giving. And in essence, if we don't desire to respond to God's grace with sacrificial giving, then we've not fully grabbed a hold of our eternal treasure. So what's the answer to this motivation problem? It's tasting and treasuring the one who gives us everything to enjoy. So the standard this side of the cross and the resurrection is the generosity of Jesus to us. He gave us everything. So I suggest that giving of a tenth is a good starting place for Christian giving. And don't get all wrapped up in this. If, if you are giving 10% or more, only the Lord knows, and we rejoice in that. If you've got yourself in such a situation with your, where you're encumbered with debt, where you've got responsibilities, and you're maybe not giving at all, or you're giving 1%, 2%, whatever, um, work towards, uh, drink deeply and understand the immeasurable love and grace of Jesus Christ and let that motivate you to give sacrificially. Ask to, just be honest with the Lord. Tell him you want to you get there. Because our giving is a diagnostic window into how we view God ultimately. Here's the next principle. The local church is a priority. The local church is a priority. It's the, the church is an antitype of the temple. And the church has a treasury to facilitate its mission. We've got a budget. We've got a budget here of about, I think it's like 550,000-ish, give or take a little bit. And um, it's a budget. And, it's, and it's, it's inside that budget is, um, is my salary, Chris's salary, Pat's salary, um, 
um, Stephen's salary, there's a stipend for the Johnsons, a stipend for uh, Sean Barrio. I mean, there's uh, all kinds of different people. We give 17% to missions. Um, there's a women's ministry budget, a men's ministry budget, there's a youth budget, children's budget, etc. It's a, it's a budget. And it is, um, unfortunately, it takes uh, money to, um, to fulfill the mission of the local church. But we don't fret about it. And, and what should motivate you actually is not our budget. Um, if you've got youth group age kids, what should motivate you is not that part of this budget goes to youth group. Um, what should motivate you if you are a woman being blessed by women's ministry is not to give because we have a women's ministry. Um, you shouldn't give because you um, like my preaching or to not give because you hate my preaching. You should give because Christ has given everything. We don't need your money. Your gift is more about you and your relationship with God than it is any church or parachurch's budget, quite frankly. Back to the local church. The notion that one, that a Christian can simply freelance his contributions to any good cause with no obligation to the local church is a myth and it's contrary to God's word. Whatever else a Christian may give, his, his or her weekly contrib- contribution to the local congregation should be first, and it should be unwavering. Remember back in Acts chapter 2, we saw that the, the church was together physically, and they were together with one mind, um, one spirit, and we looked at that word, it means homothomadon, and it means that we have a, a common interest, a common direction, a common vision. Well, we've, I've uh, married people in the past that... Um, and, and this, is, this is, I understand this at some level when they're older couples coming together, an older man, an older woman that had their separate lives. But I, I always counsel that, that the money she earns and the money he earns go into one checking account. Because if, they, if they're divided on their money, they're going to be divided on everything else. Hi, Zach. They're going to be divided on everything else. And it's the same with the church, that, that one of, the, one of the, the great purposes of giving to the local church is that we have one mind, one purpose, and we're all, we're all chipping in for the same local church mission. And you might ask, be asking the question, should I or can I give my first fruits to a Christian school or to um, another Christian organization or to a Christian mission organization? The answer to that is no, you can't. You can't. Um, God's word doesn't allow for that. In fact, in fact, if we were all given first fruits and given sacrificially to the local church, guess what those organizations, you know what problem they would have? They wouldn't need money because we'd have so much overflow that we can spill over into those other good organizations. And I'm not saying it's bad to give those organizations. We, Nancy and I give to them, and, and I want you to continue to give to them. But your first fruits giving should go to the local church, whether that's here, whether that's in another state, or if you go to another church because uh, you don't like the sermon, you need to still give to that church. We don't need your money. We see all over Scripture that giving was to the church, and then the elders distributed it. And I know that's hard because there's a certain level of trust that you can have in the Lord and also have in the elders. Here is the last principle. Giving should be consistent and proportional. In 1 Corinthians 16, chapter 2, Paul said that on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. In other words, put it in the, in the treasury. 
And we don't have to be legalistic that you have to do that every week, but it has to, the principle here is that it's consistent and it's regular. And then he goes on to say, as he may prosper. So it's not, it's not, um, it's, it's equal sacrifice, not equal giving. If you've been given a lot, much is expected from you. Not from me, but from the Lord. If you've been given little, you give little. But it's equal sacrifice. If our question, if your question this morning is, is how little can I give and still be pleasing to God? If that's your question, how little can I give and still be pleasing to God? It's the wrong question. It's, it's, the, wrong, it's the wrong question to ask. Our heart is in the right place. This question indicates that our, that, that our worship of the treasures of this earth is greater than worshiping our greatest treasure who is in heaven. He who lays up treasures on earth spends his life backing away from his treasures. If you think about it, there's been some loss in this body recently. And I've got to experience some believers in their last days. And they're not, they're not hanging onto their stuff as they're dying. They're actually, they're actually running towards the finish line because they know that that's where their treasure is. And they can, they can easily leave the other stuff behind. He who lays up his treasure in heaven looks forward to eternity. He who moves uh, daily toward his treasures. Are you rejoicing? Or are you despairing? And I want to encourage you that you can approach giving one of three ways as we close this up. One is legalistically. The Old Testament, you say the Old Testament law requires a 10% giving to the temple in order to meet a standard of righteousness, so I'm going to tithe so I can measure up to the law. I'm going to give so God loves me more. I'm going to give because I find identity in that. That's all legalism. Don't give that way. The next is licentiously. The tithe is an Old Testament thing. I'm no longer required to do it. So I'm going to give whatever I feel like whenever I feel like it. That's licentious. And the next is to give with a gospel-motivated heart. And that says that my righteousness does not come from my obedience. My obedience flows out of the righteousness that I already have in Christ. But at the same time, my life isn't my own. Everything that I have is not mine. I've been purchased by Jesus and his death for me, so I realize that all I have is really his. In that case, a tithe is a good place to start. And through it all, we remember Jesus, who though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. We cheerfully and generously Give to God, not to pay him back, but in light of his great and lavish generosity towards us. God wants your heart. He's not looking for your money. He's not looking for donors to his kingdom, those who stand outside of the church and dispassionately consider acts of philanthropy. He wants his people to overcome, be overcome with the reality of God's grace to be filled with a vision for eternity that they are motivated to excel in giving, not to receive anything in return, but because we already possess everything in Christ Jesus. A couple of questions for you. Does my giving demonstrate that I believe God is not only trustworthy to take care of me, but generous in how he does it? And before I pray, I just want to give one last encouragement. Um, Whenever you hear a sermon, whenever you are in God's word, the first thing you should ask is, God, what do you have for me? Don't go judging somebody else. 
You know, there's, uh, there's uh, wealthy people in this body that may or may not give a lot. I don't know. But this is for you. This is for you. You don't know how much anybody else gives. And my prayer is that, that you would just examine your heart, that you would uh, this week um, examine uh, the treasure of Jesus Christ and his grace and love towards you, and that would motivate you to live a sacrificial life in giving to the local church. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. Uh, God, thank you for these gospel truths. Uh, in many ways, they're hard truths to hear um, because we are so um, inundated and saturated in this culture with materialism. That we truly are a, uh, a great um, giving nation by your grace and strength and providence. But also we're a nation that is uh, bought into the lie of the American dream. That we can build our own kingdom and in building our own kingdoms we can find ultimate satisfaction, fulfillment, and purpose, and that's a lie. God, we know that we can find only ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment and purpose in you. And God, I thank you for the, that you are a good God who gives good gifts. And uh, these people here today are some of your good gifts. And I praise you that they are, they are good gifts. And God, I just pray that we would uh, just, just respond to your love and grace by giving everything back to you that you have so graciously given to us. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.